This audio program may contain descriptions of violence and topics that may not be suitable for everyone. Please listen with caution. Do you know what the most frightening thing in the world is? It's fear. I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. Oh, I thought, I thought you were saying no ex- exposed skin because they could get some jizzies on you or something. <laughs> they could also do that. Yeah. Dress like a nun when you're in the club. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then nothing can nothing touch you. Nothing will ever happen. Nothing you have Jesus' love around yeah. you. I just wear a huge cross. Yes. Like, Jesus then... will protect me. <laughs> Two really big concerts are mm-hmm. on sale right now that I want to go to. And I like look at them. I look at the tickets. I'm like, yeah, but can I really handle that? <laughs> yeah, it's like, do I really want to? It's like a whole night. You yeah. Know? It's like a whole, well, one of them I know I'll go to because it's Madison Square Garden. So you just mm-hmm. hop on the train, walk up a couple right. flights, and then you're there, you know? A couple flights. A couple flights. <laughs> a couple flights of steps. Yeah. That's how the city is. Exactly. Well, that, <laughs> because Penn Station's right under it is. Madison it's Square only Garden. Like, so uh, it's just, you, know. you just go up a little and then you're it's there. It's like a 15-minute walk. Yeah. The other one, it's like, do I want to drive to Newark and yeah, and go to the uh, arena? It's like, eh. And then you got to park your car and that's like $500. It is. And then I can't even have popcorn anymore. So what's yeah. the point? Like, <laughs> why even go? Yeah. And I don't drink. <laughs> yeah. I And it's literally just me jamming out, knowing the words to every single song. And Mike is just like, okay. Okay. I guess <laughs> He's just like, it. yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's just going out's a lot. If it anything, is. I like to go like closey. If it was me, I'd go out until like midnight. And then I'd go home and I'd watch a scary movie and that would be my birthday. Yeah. That Perfect would be awesome. Ending. I'd get in my jammies. Yeah. And eat some junk food or whatever mm-hmm. and watch a scary movie. Yeah. That's enough for us. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Like, I can do, like, mm-hmm. minimal going out. Yeah. I work next door to a bar. And uh-huh. it's, like, one of those kind of bars where every single night they have a DJ and a band. Ugh. And the walls pulse. Shake. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. And I'm like, it's loud over here. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine being, being in there. Being in there. Yeah. What are we talking about today? Stalkers. Yeah, stalking cases. I wanted to do this because I found this case. I have been listening to the Dark Divide podcast. Okay. And I am in love with it. Mm. There's only been like three episodes so far, but it is so good. If you need or like a narrative true Mm -hmm. crime podcast, you have to listen to it. It's really good. And the, uh, the woman who narrates it, has like a nice voice and it's very melodramatic it's great so she covered this case in the latest episode and i went down the rabbit hole on this thing because it is wild well that's good because mine's not oh really (laughs) i just picked my favorite stalker case Uh uh-huh but it's i got to the end and i was like well i guess it's not really a stalker it wasn't a stalker it was but the majority of the story isn't about him stalking Oh, it's some, it's like other stuff? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm still interested to hear it, yes. you know? I just was like, mm. I was considering doing just a little write-up about the house 
in New Jersey that has a stalker. Oh my god! Yes, I was gonna do that. But really? There's not enough information to do there, like a whole it, story there really about it. Isn't. But it's I very... love that fucking story. Yeah. For those who don't know, here in New Jersey, do you know what town it is? I think it's no, no, I do, know. but it's in the back of my head somewhere. Yeah. But... So there's this house that all of the new owners of it get these weird letters. And the letters are all talking about how this guy watches the house Mm -hmm. and his father watched it before him and his grandfather watched it before him. And it's like a family tradition that they watch this house and maybe kill the people in it. (laughs) I mean, that's what the letters are implying. Yeah. But everyone always moves out when they get them. Yeah. So like nothing ever happens to Yeah. Because everyone's just like, well, fuck this. I'll just resell it. Exactly. But, it's a really nice house, too. Yeah, so people buy it. And then in the letters, it's not just like, I'm watching you, you know? No, it's, it's very like ominous. It's like, I know your daughter goes to this school. I know she takes the bus at 8.15 and arrives at 8.45. Yes. And I know her favorite, you know what I mean? Like, I know your dog's name, and I know that he likes this, so I could just get into the house, and you know what I mean? Like, yeah, as of February 8th, of 2017 there is a new owner Mm -hmm. of the watcher house it's in westfield new jersey um and it had been vacant for more than two years prior to this person moving in and the stalker is called the watcher that's Mm -hmm. what everyone refers to him as the new owner says he is unfazed by the threatening letters (laughs) okay then See, uh, I think it'd be funny if he just did nothing mm-hmm. and then the watcher just stopped. Like, maybe yeah, he's just fucking... I think it's just someone fucking with people, you know? Yeah, but that's a lot of work to stalk a whole family so that you have that much detail for mm-hmm. threatening letters. That's a lot of work for just goofing around. You know what I mean? Like, it's not going to be a 16-year-old boy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how would he manage that? It has to be... It could be a teacher. Then they would know about the kids. Yeah, but there's also stuff like, I know you went to the doctors at this point yesterday. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, there's stuff about everyone. Yeah. So that they know, like, oh, this person really actually watches our whole lives. Mm -hmm. So the previous owners, Derek and Maria Brodus, purchased the house for $1.3 million. But (laughs) they never moved in because exactly three days after they purchased the house, they received the first of the letters. They had young children at the time, and the the letter asked if they were bringing, quote, young blood into the home. <laughs> it's just really creepy shit like that. And he asked for the names of the children and what bedrooms they'd be sleeping in so he could know if he could watch them from the street. Shit like that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just baffling. Yeah, it's really weird. And it's been going on for a really yeah, long time. Yeah, years and years and years. Like, before like, our time. Yeah. And the police have never, like, yeah, investigated no one, Nobody it. knows who's doing it. They're just like, well, guess we'll never find out. Yeah. Because I don't think the letters are sent from anywhere. I think they're dropped they're like in, left the, mail, there. Yeah, in yeah. the mailbox. Mm-hmm. Like, the watcher claims to be the rightful owner of the home, apparently. Mm-hmm. He says it's been the subject of his family for decades. And he said, quote, All of the windows and doors allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. I watch and wait for the day the young blood will be mine again. Yikes. It has six bedrooms. (laughs) Well, Well, then. It is a nice house. No, it's... it's, You could look it up. It's it's a, a very nice house. 
It has six bedrooms. It has six bedrooms, yeah. I mean. Well, there is that. (laughs) There's that. It's a really weird case. Yeah. And there isn't that much about it. There's just like these little snippets of notes Mm -hmm. from the past couple of years. But it is interesting. And it's local. The Watcher House. So should we get into this first one? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Buckle up, because okay, this buckled is... In. Yep. So I'm going to tell you about Cindy James. Cindy James was born in 1945 in Canada. I have no idea where. <laughs> it wouldn't matter to me Manitoba? anyway. I know nothing about Canada. <laughs> I know I know where Toronto is. <laughs> I know I can drive up and to, I know like... there's Ontario. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very little is known about her childhood up until the time she was 19 years old. She was the eldest of six children and went to school initially for nursing, but discovered that psychiatry, especially child psychiatry, was a passion of hers. I mean, I guess not psychiatry. Psychology? She didn't just want to give him drugs. <laughs> that's that's, that's what, what a psychiatrist is. Yeah, psychiatrist is the drug one. Yeah, but it's also a therapist. Okay. It doesn't just, it's no, not just like, not. oh, you say you're unhappy? Okay, here's some medicine. <laughs> that's what it's, my psychiatrist does. No. It's a. It's basically a therapist who's allowed to prescribe. To give, yeah. So she left home in 1964 when she married Dr. Roy Makepeace who was 37 at the time and almost twice her age. Makepeace had been a psychiatric resident at Vancouver General Hospital and was Cindy's mentor for a research project. At the time, he was married with four children and was a recent immigrant to the United States from South Africa. He was already married? Yep. And then he married her? They got married four months after his divorce was legal. Good. (laughs) Yes. And without the knowledge of Cindy's parents. Mm. In 1966, Cindy took a job as an administrator at a preschool for children with emotional and behavioral issues. She eventually co-founded a psychiatric facility for children. Cindy and Makepeace never had kids of their own. Well, he had four kids, so, you know, she had stepkids. I'm sure he was great. (laughs) Yeah, right? He seems like a real winner. You'll see why. In 1980, after 16 years of marriage, Cindy left Makepeace. Though the two divorced, they remained close friends and spent a fair amount of time together. Cindy rented the ground floor of a house in East Vancouver and set out to live on her own for the first time in her life. Just four months after moving into her own place, Cindy began receiving disturbing phone calls, which were either completely silent or contained barely audible whispering. Yeah. Don't like whispers. Um, there's a recording of one of them. I will play it later. It made me close my laptop and go to bed when I was researching. It was very disturbing. In October of 1982, Cindy made her first report to the Vancouver police. Someone had gained access to her apartment, presumably with a key, and used a knife to slash her bedroom pillows to shreds. Such a weird thing to do. It is. By Halloween... Constable Pat McBride was sent to interview oh, Cindy. Constable. Constable. Well, because their police is the RCMP, the Royal Canadian, Royal Canadian Mounted, Mounted police. police. Yes. That's who we're dealing with here. Horses. They do not do a good job. I'm going to tell you that <laughs> right now. <laughs> so Pat McBride was sent to follow up on her claims. He helped her install deadbolt locks in the apartment and requested that the area be patrolled yeah, more frequently. She wasn't home when the people did that, right? No. Okay, so a deadbolt lock only 
works I, when you're home. I, yeah, true. <laughs> you can't lock it and you then can't. leave the house. So yeah. if this so. person has a key, they can still get in. <laughs> It's true. Thank God. McBride was recently divorced and eventually subletted a room in the apartment from Cindy. So he moved in with her. Sorry, who did? What now? Pat McBride, the police officer. Okay. (laughs) McBride and Cindy had a short romance but ended their relationship. What the fuck is happening? (laughs) I know. And this isn't even the craziest stuff. What the fuck? Uh, According to Cindy, McBride had strong romantic feelings for her that she did not reciprocate. He was an intense man, and that aspect of him did not appeal to Cindy. About 11 weeks after McBride moved in with Cindy, the phone call started up again, but even more strange events came with them. Cindy's phone wires would be mysteriously cut, Her outdoor lights would be destroyed in the night, and strange tapping noises would be heard coming from her windows with no source. And he still lives there. Yeah, and he's a police officer, and people are still fucking with her. Wait, but, and also, he moves in, they have a romance, they end the romance, and he doesn't move out? No, because he moved in platonically to begin with. He was just like, hey, I'm divorced, I need a place, I'm going to stay with you. And Cindy was like, yeah, of course, I need... Having a police officer can only do me good because all this shit's yeah, happening to me. Police officers fucking bananas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> police tried to trace the calls, but they were never long enough to get a location. <gasps> Sorry. I just, I have. You're a... coming to the same conclusion I came to. <laughs> in my mind. Which is that it's Pat McBride yeah, doing and it. And the, the only thing that I think of is when in one of my favorite scary movies of mm-hmm. all time. When a when stranger, a stranger calls, calls, he at one point the police the police like don't believe this girl. Mm-hmm. She's like, what What do I need to do? To, there's two. You can't just come and check on me. There's two small kids. Them, right. Finally, they trace the calls that are coming to her, and they're like, get out of the house. They're coming from inside the house. And it's like, well, also there are two kids upstairs. Am I supposed to leave them? Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, get out of the <laughs> house. Yeah. It's like, Thank you, cops. Uh. <laughs> but that's all that flashed in my mind that they were like, it's coming from inside the house. Yeah. No. This it's not coming from inside the house. Also, we don't spoiler think. alert. Sorry, you, sh- <laughs> if you should have seen the movie by now. It was like two thousand seven. Yeah. <laughs> Pat McBride moved out of the apartment on December first of nineteen eighty three. Cindy began keeping a log of all of the terrifying activity. She started to receive death threats both on the phone and by mail. During one incident, three dead cats were found hanging in her backyard. What the fuck? Yes. Why? Like that's I know so it's all why. There's no purpose. Stalkers or have mental issues. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, even if I was going to stalk someone, I'd be like, "What do girls like? Chocolate? <laughs> they like yeah. cats. I'm certainly not going to kill them and leave them on. <laughs> if anything, I'd give her three live cats yeah. in like a little box. Ribbons. No, this is insidious, tormenting for the sake of tormenting yeah. this woman. You know, Um, whoever was behind all of these incidents began leaving terrifying notes on the windshield of her car. These notes contained cut out pictures of knives, women being strangled and body bags. Raw meat began showing up at her home. Ew. Yeah. A friend of Cindy's, Agnes Woodcock, once found Cindy bound by nylon stockings in her own backyard. Sorry, what? What? She was bound up in nylon stockings, like (laughs) tied. Who did that? We don't know. Cindy remembered being attacked in her garage when she was grabbed from behind, but she never saw the intruder's face. All she remembered was that the assailant was wearing white sneakers. So either they knocked her out or they used some kind of drug to render her unconscious, which is a a theme 
right. in, in this. So then what happens after this? She goes into police custody? Because mm, no. now she's being physically attacked. Yes. No, this happens several like, times. You can stay at the house all by yourself. You're yeah, fine. Right. Don't be overdramatic. <laughs> Women, am I right? right. Um, must be the period. <laughs> yeah, I guess she's on something. You, you know women. They do crazy things like tie themselves up with stockings and inject themselves with morphine. She just wants attention. Cindy's dog Heidi was tormented as well. Cindy would return home to find Heidi tied up tightly, sitting in her own waist and shaking. Someone kidnapped Heidi at one point, but brought her back days later. Cindy tried everything to escape whoever was behind these incidents. She changed her last name, moved to a different home, and even painted her car a different color. It just seems like if you're doing all the rest... Might as well just move out of the area. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just moved to, like, Switzerland. Yeah. As time passed with no solid leads and no physical proof that an outside force was behind these attacks... The police began to doubt Cindy's stories. Pat McBride told Cindy that the RCMP had no intention of following up on her case and put her in touch with a retired police officer turned private investigator named Ozzy Caban. Caban helped. They're not planning on following no. up? No, they think she's doing it to herself. He's such a typical ex. No, he wasn't. Oh, I thought one. he was like, I don't think no, it's real. The police were, and he was like, listen, Cindy. They're not following up on your case. You need help. So he was being good about this. And he referred her to Ozzy Caban. Caban helped Cindy to outfit her home in a defensive manner. He installed a panic like button. Alone style. Kind of. Only not as fun. <laughs> he installed a panic button for emergencies. Lights that would not be broken easily were put in the house. And he gave her a two-way radio to contact him with. The police watched the home regularly, even though they didn't believe her. They yeah, have nothing seems else like to do. What? <laughs> <laughs> We don't believe you, but we are going to put a lot of yeah. time and effort into it. One night, Caban heard noises coming from the radio. He rushed to Cindy's home and found her lying motionless on the floor with a paring knife stuck through her hand. Ugh. Through <laughs> her hand. Ugh. She did to herself. Right? Along at the scene was a note that read, You are dead, bitch. Well, but Cab she's not. No. Caban feared that Cindy was dead and called an ambulance. She was barely clinging to life as they took her to the hospital, where she recovered, but could only remember someone stabbing her with a needle before she passed out. The police failed to properly investigate the incident. No fingerprints were taken from the knife or from the home. <gasps> yeah. They're really bad at their jobs. And also, you would just think, like, well, if she is doing to herself, that could help prove it. Like, look, bitch, it's only your fingerprints. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's at least something. No, they're just doing nothing. They're awful. So her ex-husband, Roy Makepeace, was interviewed during this time and told authorities that he believed Cindy was suffering from multiple personality disorder. Shut up, Makepeace. <laughs> known now as Dissociative Identity Disorder or DID. And that she was doing all of this to herself. Caban was adamant that Cindy was not capable of harming herself in such a way. And that it was impossible for anyone to tie themselves up in such a manner as she had been previously. Well, that reminds me of that case. I'm not going to remember the name. The girl who was hanging. Oh, yes. Um, in the big mansion. The mansion yeah, murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was hanging. They were like, well, she could have done it to herself. Yeah, she could have they... just bound herself like yeah. that. Because one person, one time, like, bound their, or yeah. whatever. It's like, 
Well, they, they have a little of this here, but there's another factor yeah. that makes it just impossible. Cindy went through several sessions of hypnosis and took multiple polygraph tests to prove her innocence. Though no deception was detected in her polygraph tests, the polygraph examiner did say that Cindy seemed evasive about certain questions. Caban and Cindy's family believed she was not telling the police everything because her stalker had threatened to kill her family and friends mm. if she told the police anything. At this time, Pat McBride became a suspect, but was soon cleared. However, after these events, McBride was stripped of his badge for harassing women in similar ways to how Cindy had been harassed. Yes. And he even told one of his victims that she looked a lot like Cindy. The call's coming from inside the house. Because these stalking incidents never occurred when police were conducting surveillance, they grew suspicious. Cindy's parents stood by their daughter, claiming that whoever was doing these things was smart enough to wait until the police were not present. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, Also, if the police are watching the house, like, say they come by, okay, we're going to come by at 6, and then we're going to come by at 8. Yeah, they, drive by every hour or something. Yeah, it's like, I'll just wait until you've just drove by. Great, now that gives me an hour. Yeah. It's not that hard. No. It's not that, I mean, it's not rocket science here. I mean... (laughs) On December 11th, 1985, Cindy went missing from her home. She was found in a ditch over six miles away, wearing only a man's work boot and one glove. She was conscious, but dazed and very confused. She had cuts and bruises all over her body and had contracted hypothermia. Mm. A nylon stocking was tied tightly around her neck, and she could not remember the events that ended with her in the ditch. Cindy's friends stayed with her at her home after this attack. One night, they were awakened by loud noises. They searched the home and found that a fire had been set in the basement. They went to call for help, but the phone lines had been cut. They ran outside and called for neighbors to get help and saw a man standing at the end of the street and pleaded with him to call the police, but he ran away. Cindy had been walking Heidi at the time and was not home. The police determined that the fire was started within the home and there were no visible signs of forced entry. They found it strange that Cindy had been walking her dog alone at night given the circumstances and they believed that she had staged the fire. I mean, also, if your dog's got to poo, your dog's got to poo. Yeah, but also she could have, like if it was me, if I was going to start a fire, she could have easily just gone down the basement, started a small fire, gone upstairs, been like, oh, I'm so tired, I'm going to go to bed. Yeah. And then thought her, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like she doesn't have to be out of the house, you know? Exactly. So it's like she probably was just like, my fucking dog needs to be walked. Yeah. And also, if it was me, I'd probably feel good. Okay, well, there's people at my house. Mm-hmm. So the stalker is not going to attack right now because there's people at my house. Yeah, like, you would think. I have some safety here. Mm-hmm. If they're really good stalkers, they would know she wasn't in the house. But then it makes her look suspicious. Again, they could just be trying to set her up, yeah. too. Cindy had been deteriorating both mentally and physically since the stalking started. By all accounts, she was a husk of her former self. Once a vibrant and bubbly person, Cindy was now constantly terrified, weak, and quiet. She suffered from depression and felt that her credibility had been destroyed by the police. She was admitted to a psychiatric ward because her psychiatrist feared that she was suicidal. She stayed there for 10 weeks. When she returned home, she informed her family and friends that she knew more about her stalker than she was letting on. She claimed she had a plan to go after them herself. She told investigators that she believed her ex-husband, Roy Makepeace, was her stalker. Cindy believed that after almost 20 years together, 
No one knew how to play with her mind like Makepeace did. Of course, he denied this and claimed to have received a threatening phone call of his own. Cindy was let go from her job and fell back on her original degree and took a job as a nurse at a local hospital. On May 25, 1989, Cindy had gone to a shopping center to deposit her paycheck from the hospital and then go to the grocery store. She was never heard from again. Holy shit. When police began to look for her, they found her car in a neighborhood parking lot with her groceries and a wrapped gift inside. There was blood along the driver's side door and some of her belongings from her wallet were found under her car. Two weeks later, Cindy James's body was found in the yard of an abandoned house about a mile and a half from where she lived. Her hands and feet were both bound to each other and behind her back. She had another black nylon stocking tied around her neck and an injection mark on her arm. A toxicology report showed that she had died of an overdose of morphine. Police ruled Cindy's death a suicide. What? Yeah, I know. The it's fuck? so stupid. Caban and Cindy's family argued that there was no way that Cindy would have been able to inject herself with a lethal dose of morphine and then and proceed then to tie herself, herself up in such a way. She's basically like hog tie. It must be hard enough to hog tie yourself. Imagine doing it now you're fucking and and in, morphine acts fast. Right, plus you're injecting yeah. it. You're not like taking a pill where it takes like a half hour no, to kick in. It's right into the bloodstream. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about mm-hmm. being in a hospital. They inject that and after two minutes you're like, great, yeah. this is awesome. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so there, I mean, I a lethal dose, you're probably no fucking yeah. high as a kite. <laughs> the coroner ruled the cause of death was, quote, unknown. Couldn't be the fucking <laughs> right. God. To this day, no one knows if Cindy was behind her own stalking or if a deranged person or persons targeted the sweet divorcee and carried on tormenting her for seven long years. Cindy's younger sister, Melanie Hack, is still searching for answers. She released the audio of one of the threatening phone calls on her blog. All that can be heard is a garbled voice chanting, Dead meat. That's so weird. I'm going to I'm going to play it for you right okay. now. I really didn't expect that to end with her dying. Really? Yeah. I yeah. thought it was going to be Makepeace I mean, or whatever his name is. I think the two best suspects are Makepeace and the police the Pat guy. McBride. Yeah. Pat McBride's dead though. So, not so much we can do about that. The devil knows. <laughs> yeah, ready for this? Mhm. <laughs> That's the whole thing. Could you hear it? Yeah, I could. It's just like, I'm curious to know what all of them sound like, what she sounds like and what her ex sounds like. I was looking at Reddit and stuff because not a lot has been Mm -hmm. like talked about for this case. It was actually fairly hard finding information, but someone was like, it sounds like a woman's voice. It does sound like a woman trying to be a man. Mm -hmm. Like, you would go lower and scraggly like, dead me. Like, that's what it sounds like to me. But also, I don't know what the men's voices sound like. If both of those men have really deep voices, mm-hmm. then I then can't see it yeah. being them. Well, or they could try to make their voice higher. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very strange incident. Or, I mean, if I was being stalked and I was like, well, I know the stalker's real and they're not believing me, maybe you fucking make a fake voicemail and say, see? Yeah. You know what I mean? Just because mm-hmm. that, even if that's faked, it doesn't mean the rest of it is. True. She could have just been like... They're not believing me. Mm-hmm. Like, I need something to be like, this is physical evidence that you can see. It's not just, like, coming upon a scene and seeing it. So, you know. Yeah, and I think it says a lot that the people closest to her, like, the PI 
um, mm-hmm. Ozzy Caban and her friends and her parents, like, they all witnessed these little things happening mm-hmm. and they believed her with no doubt in their right. mind. You, you know? would think that if she was suffering from multiple personality disorder, someone would notice. Someone would notice something. Well, and the thing with DID is that you have these periods of blackouts where yeah. another personality, you could say, takes control. She didn't seem to have that. And these episodes are usually noticeable. Like, you'll go about living your life, but, you know, living this other personality's life. Like, you're, you'll go out. It's not, it doesn't just happen when you stay at home and no right. one's around. Right, no, no, no. You know? You'd still, like, yeah. say she was at the grocery store, she'd still go to the grocery People store. People would notice something She'd just was go up. as a different person. All of a sudden, she'd be like, man, I love fish. And it's like, really? Because you hate fish. Shit like that yeah. would happen. Where People like, would notice. Yeah, your best friends and your you know, f- close family is mm-hmm. going to notice you doing weird shit. And a lot of times, cases like that, there's markers that you can tell because it's like, well, I have a bunch of books that I don't remember buying. And mm-hmm. I, you know, like I have shirts that I would never wear in my closet. Like there's stuff like that where it's like there's no evidence of another personality. Yeah, and... Another thing is, if she had multiple personalities, why would they want to hurt themselves? Right. Why you know, would they it didn't, it would, kill themselves? Like, what? Yeah, it doesn't make sense from that standpoint. She could have psychiatric disorders. You know, she was seeing a psychiatrist. She went away to the hospital, but she was depressed and suicidal, which is really normal if you're a victim of stalking. Right. I mean, you feel like your entire life is just completely out of control and out of your hands but it wouldn't make sense for the periods of time that she lost because that is a symptom of mm-hmm. did you lose time mentally you don't remember what happens but doesn't make sense that she would just wake up and have done this to herself right and also you know? it's very random it's not like every week something would happen mm-hmm. And she wouldn't remember because that disorder, it doesn't come and go every like six months. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it's a disorder. It happens all the time. I don't know. Even if she wanted to hurt herself, she's always with herself. Yeah. Like you would think she would have done it sooner than that. She's a nurse. So if she wanted to kill herself, she would probably know exactly Exactly how to. And it seems a little fucking coincidental that her ex-husband all of a sudden is like, Actually, I think she has this disorder, and it just happens to mm-hmm. summarize everything that's happening. Like, well, and, and also, I got a, a threatening phone call. He's also a psychologist, right? So, so he's it's like just, he could have just trying been, to diagnose her with. He could have been the stalker, and then been like, "Well, what could explain a fake stalker? Oh, this disorder. Yeah. Okay, she has this disorder." Mm-hmm. And also, I got a threatening phone call though. Yeah, but like, it's what? Like, really? So then it sounds like. There is a stalker. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, so it's one or the other. In this case, there's really three options. Mm-hmm. There's, she's doing this for attention, mm-hmm. consciously. She has some kind of psychiatric disorder that's making her do these things to herself. Or there is a highly dangerous, very vindictive or sadistic person who is doing all of this crazy stuff to her and no one's really helping her. I mean, the person that helped her the most was Ozzy Caban. Yeah. And he's just one guy. He can only do so much. Right. You know? I also have no idea about what the motives could be. The exes have motive. motive. That's the thing. I don't see how anyone else would have motive. Right. Unless, I mean, she worked with children unless One of them she... grew up and Yeah, had... or she did something that got one taken away from a parent or something mm-hmm. or, you know, and... 
or got custody taken away from a parent or, you mm-hmm. know, and that parent is vindictive. Could be. Because I feel like there's two kinds of stalkers. There's I love you so much and want to be with you stalker. Mm-hmm. And that normally starts out very romantic. It's yes. like you're the best, whatever. And they, it only gets violent when the, the person they're stalking says no. Mm-hmm. Or there's like, I fucking hate you so much stalker. I which want this to seems, scare you. Right. Yes. Which, I mean, clearly this one's the second one. Mm-hmm. But it's like. It makes it less likely it's just a random person. Mm-hmm. Like, a random person's more likely to be like, ooh, I love that person. Yeah. Than they are to just see someone randomly and be like, ooh, I hate them. Yeah, I feel like the um more infatuation mm-hmm. stalking incidents are based on more surface encounters. Yeah. Whereas a sadistic or insidious stalking like this one, it's based in some deep-rooted hatred. Yeah. Or... The even scarier notion is that it isn't, and it's just someone who loves to see. But it's weird to that inflict pain. That you no know, stalk, like you would think that that stalker would move on to another person, and it'd be very similar. Yeah, unless but, it's that Peter whatever guy, the police oh, um, officer. In which Pat case, McBride. it did. Yeah, because yeah. he he was let go because he was doing similar things. You that know was I mean? long after the de- she died, but. I yeah, mean, but it is. That's why I put it in there because it has to be noted that. But that's what I mean. Like he would, you know what I mean? It'd mm-hmm. be happening to other people, and in that case, it is happening to other people. Yeah, know? but the only thing is that he would have had to target her before he knew her, because he only came to her house and met her because she was getting these phone calls. So what could have happened was, the husband could have been calling her, and being like oh, well, I'll scare her and then she'll need me again and mm-hmm. she'll come back. And then Pat McBride moves in. She rejects him and, and is like, And then he's well, like, well, she already has a stalker. It's I'm perfect. Gonna, I guess. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. What's yours about? Um, This is about... <laughs> okay. Mine's not as good. This is about John Hinckley Jr. <laughs> you know him. Yes, I do. He, <laughs> he's an assassin? I mean, what did he do? He did assassinate. Well, he, he tried to assassinate, but he was a yeah. stalker originally. Okay. So, he is one of my favorites just because he's crazy. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds so bad. But oh, like, yes. He's... I know. I know which one he is. Yeah. So. Okay. I don't know a lot about him, though, so. Okay. Well, I'll tell you a little yeah. bit. So, he was born May 29th, 1955 in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Good old Oklahoma. He was the youngest of three children, and his father was very successful. He worked in the oil industry. So he had a pretty normal, good, steady upbringing. His parents were together. They didn't, you know, there wasn't abuse Mm -hmm. or anything like that. When he was younger, they moved from Oklahoma to Texas, Mm -hmm. and he was a good student. He was okay in sports. He was, like, he was just average, you know? But he tended to be less interested in sports towards, like, the high school range. And he was more interested in music. Oh, okay. And, like, writing his own music and all mm-hmm. that stuff. So he graduates high school and he ends up attending Texas Tech University. But in 1976, he quits college and moves to California because he wants to be a songwriter. I wonder if they spell it T-E-C-H-A-S-T-E-C-H. Tech sister. <laughs> I mean, missed opportunity if they don't. Yeah, they don't, but that <laughs> that would have been better. <laughs> but he doesn't do that well. He, he can't really support himself. So later that year, he moves into his parents' house, who now live in Colorado. 
Welcome to the life of a musician, buddy. Yep. <laughs> so he kind of drifts around for their, like a few years. He goes to California. He goes back to California. He goes to Texas. Mm. He's like doing whatever. He starts to become fascinated with the 1976 film Taxi Driver, which is, in case anyone doesn't know. It's a little bit of a gross movie. <laughs> yeah. It's it's the Robert De Niro Sybil Shepherd movie. It's basically about the main character. He wants to assassinate a U.S. senator. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of becomes obsessed with this sex worker. A very young sex who worker. Is, yes. In reality and in the movie, she's like oh, like 12 or 13. Yeah. Jodie Foster. Jo- and that's Jodie yeah. Foster. And, and that's the one, if you don't know the movie, you know when he's talking to himself in the mirror. Ugh. And he's like, you talking to me? You talking to me? Yeah. You talking to me? That's what it's from. <laughs> it, it's pretty good. <laughs> It's an okay movie, but yeah. I wouldn't be obsessed with it. No. Someone at some point said he watched the film over a hundred times, and I was like, that's too many times. <laughs> it's to way. Watch. I mean, I would say three is probably. T- yeah, I think no. I've seen Taxi Driver once fully. So I was like, ooh, I'm going to sit down and watch this movie. And then, like, twice it's just been on sh- TV and I haven't turned it off. Mm-hmm. And also, I find this weird because, right, he's after college age. He's like 24, 25 at this point. Mm-hmm. When he sees this movie and becomes obsessed with Jodie Foster, she's a 13-year-old girl. Yeah, it's it's messed up. So in 1979, he buys a gun. Of course. <laughs> yes. And over the next few years, he starts adding to his gun collection. Because anyone can just buy a gun. Who gives one fuck? Yeah. Everybody gets a gun. Um, you get a gun. Yeah. And you get a gun. Yeah. He starts <laughs> collecting them. Even though he was struggling he was psychologically. He was struggling psychologically. Yeah. Let's just give him all the guns he wants. <laughs> yeah. I think he's fine. He wrote in a letter to his sister, my nervous system is shot. I take heavy medication for it, but it doesn't seem to do much good. So, guns. And heavy medication. And heavy medication. <laughs> <laughs> and psychological disorders. Yep. So, in 1980, he moved back into his parents' house in Colorado, and he received some psychiatric treatment. But it still isn't really improving his state. And he's still obsessed with Jodie Foster at this time. And he actually made several attempts to contact Jodie Foster. He tried writing her letters. I don't think any have actually made it to her. They always got returned. You yeah. Because I mean? he, he didn't have an address. So he'd just be like, Jodie Foster. Yeah. So was, po- the post the office fuck? would just throw yeah. it back at his house. And then he tried to call her. Like he'd call her agent and everything. Mm-hmm. And she always like buffed his calls, obviously, because she what doesn't the fucking fuck? know him. See, in his mind, he wasn't like, oh, she doesn't want me. I'm angry. He was like, oh, she wants me. She just doesn't know it because she doesn't know who I am. Mm-hmm. Because she hasn't gotten my calls or my letters Mm -hmm. but had she she would know who i am and she'd fall in love with me too Mm -hmm. the day of the shooting he actually writes her a letter and in it it says by sacrificing my freedom and possibly my life i hope to change your mind about me this letter is being written an hour before i leave the hilton hotel jody i'm asking you to please look into your heart and at least give me a chance with this historical deed to gain your respect and love no it actually starts a year before this letter was written. Mm-hmm. October 9th, 1980, Hinckley's arrested at the Nashville International Airport for possession of three firearms the day President Jimmy Carter is in town. Oh, but I'm sure if Jimmy Carter wasn't in town, he would be fine with those three I'm guns. Sure. 
So it's just the wrong day. This isn't a coincidence. Mm-hmm. This was his first assassination attempt, and it's foiled. Mm-hmm. So he tries again. March 30th, 1981, at 2.25 p.m., President Ronald Reagan comes out of the hotel in Washington, where Hinckley is waiting for him in the crowd, and he begins shooting. He shoots multiple shots. One bullet hits Reagan in his left lung. Along with that, Press Secretary James Brady is hit. Secret Service Office Timothy J. McCarthy and Washington Police Officer Thomas K. Delante are also hit. By far, Brady receives the most injuries. He's shot in the head and partially (gasps) paralyzed. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I think they counted. It was like a crazy amount of shots. Mm -hmm. It was like 14 shots or something. So March 31st, 1981, the federal government formally charges Hinckley with attempting to assassinate the president and assaulting a Secret Service agent. Mm -hmm. They just throw that on there. There Yeah. He's just, we'll just throw it on there because we can, you know? Well, I think... It's not like he's a person or anything. (laughs) I think also when they officially charge him, they charge him with, like, the attempted murder of this amount of people. Mm -hmm. But I think at one point he gets into a physical fight with another Uh, Secret Service agent. And that's, yeah. But it's just the way that, like, everything's written, Mm -hmm. it sounds like. And he also shot... We'll put that in assaulting. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Like, so May 27th, 1981, he takes a Tylenol overdose. My God. And attempts to harm himself, although there's no detail how. Mm-hmm. But he tries to kill himself. It doesn't work. August 28th, 1981, Hinckley pleads not guilty by reasonable insanity to 13 count in- indictment. November 15th, 1981, Hinckley tries to commit suicide again by hanging himself with his clothes. Ooh. May 4th, the trial begins. And June 21st, 1982, Hinckley is found not guilty by reasonable insanity. And he is committed to St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Washington. Is there like a term on that or is it just indefinite? Uh, it's indefinite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That February, he makes his third suicide attempt. He tries to overdose on his antidepressant medication. So mm-hmm. he just hoards them all and then takes them at once. Yeah. Um, in 1985, Hinckley's parents established a nonprofit organization called the American Mental Health Fund to raise money for mental health research. That same year, Hinckley's doctors report his condition to be in full remission. Mm-hmm. In 1986, he starts making brief supervised visits to his parents. January 15, 1999, the U.S. court appeals that Hinckley can make supervised trips out of the hospital. So they're basically like, no, yeah. don't do that. They're like, you can go <laughs> but, out. And then they're right, like, but no. 1880, or 1986, he starts. 1999, they're like, mm, maybe not. Yeah. It's like, this has only been going on for over 10 years, but not anymore. Yeah. In 2000, the doctors are like, no, he really should be allowed to make unsupervised visits to his parents' house. Mm -hmm. But then they withdraw that. In April, they're like, yes, he should. But Mm -hmm. in June, they say he shouldn't because Hinckley shows a continued interest in violent books and music. So they well, said, you know, you got to curb that because it's not like we read violent right. or listen to violent music. So basically they still are like, he should be able to visit, but maybe just have it supervised. I yeah. Know. I mean, supervised doesn't hurt. Because yeah. unsupervised, he was, it was basically under the unsupervised. He had to be in the presence of his, one of his parents at all times. But mm-hmm. I guess they weren't like, parents. Yeah. but I guess they weren't like, no, you can't watch, you know, whatever. I don't know what violent mm-hmm. technically like law and order, like you know, or yeah. <laughs> so um, he just listens to like a ton of Slayer. Yeah, exactly. So in two thousand three, 
Hinkley's allowed more unsupervised daytime visits. So basically, he's he's now going the whole day. Mm-hmm. 2005, um, they allow him three day visits and three night visits to his parents' home. Mm-hmm. So he could basically stay at, with his parents right. most of the week. Most of the week. Yeah. A hearing begins in 2007 to decide if he should be... Basically, what it is is... He's allowed that time, and then he has to take breaks. So, mm-hmm. like, I think it's three days and three nights for one week, mm-hmm. and then he has to wait another three weeks. So it's basically once a month okay. he can do that. Mm-hmm. Then they start debating on whether they should let him out for two weeks or if they should keep it every four. In 2009, the judge increases his home visits to 10 days, and he's also authorized a driver's license. What? Because the judge says he's not in danger to himself or others under the proper conditions. Only if the conditions are right. <laughs> I mean, in 2011, he's allowed to visit his mother's home he's in like Virginia. He's like a souffle. Yeah, he, I mean, he's basically allowed to do whatever he wants at yeah. this point. In 2013, He's allowed 17-day periods of off-campus visits to his mother home. In 2008, his father died, and he was allowed to go so, to his So funeral. it's just... So after his mm-hmm. father dies, his mother basically moves from Washington back to Virginia. Mm-hmm. So now they're allowing him to visit his mother's home in Virginia. Yes, okay. Who's paying for this? Mm-hmm. Us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> August 4th, 2014, former Reagan press secretary James Brady dies at the age of 73. A Virginia medical examiner rules Brady's death a homicide. What? Police tell CNN that authorities are investigating the death because he died due to complications from the shooting. So basically what had happened was he he died from complications from his paralysis. Oh, okay. And he wouldn't have had the paralysis had he not been shot. shot. Yeah. So the coroner rules it a homicide. Mm-hmm. However, in 2015, the U.S. State Attorney Office releases a statement that they will not pursue murder charges against Hinckley for James Brady. Mm-hmm. In September of 2016, Hinckley is released from St. Elizabeth's Hospital with no conditions. Wow. Is so he he's still out. alive? Yep. He's oh, out. my gosh. 2016, he was a free man. He's been living two years free. Wow. And his famous line, of course, when they asked him, why did you try to shoot the president, is, I did it for Jodie Foster. Mm-hmm. And he hadn't even seen her shine yet in Silence of the Lambs. <sighs> he probably loved her in Silence of the Lambs. Maybe that think, was the violence. Do you think he was allowed to watch her movies in the, <laughs> oh, in the, um, I think the hospital? No one, no one says anything about no? it. No. Do you think he's still obsessed with Jodie Foster? He could be. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think what it was is he had an untreated me- like mental yeah. illness. And, and he just when focused he went to the hospital, everything on. Yeah. He, he obviously got better. So he doesn't have that mental illness anymore. So he's not obsessed anymore. But I wonder if he's ever like, could be a fan. A, let's throw in a Jodie Foster movie. She's great. Wouldn't that be surreal? Like now he's just a normal fan of just like, yeah. he's just like, man, Silence of the Lambs is good. Taxi it Driver is. isn't her best. It isn't. Also, she was 13 and I was disgusting. Yes. Shouldn't have been obsessed with that age. Yeah, no, it's it's bad. But I just love that I did it for Jodie Foster. That's what always... Because imagine being that reporter being like, why did you try to shoot the president? Mm-hmm. Expecting some big political thing and then just being like, I did it for Jodie Foster. Yeah. Well, no, I'm sorry. What? Yeah. Let's take it back. It would be like... How and why? It would be like today if... Someone shot Donald Trump. <laughs> and was like, I did it for Millie Bobby Brown. I did it yes. for Millie Bobby Brown. Yes. That's, That's exactly what it would be, what it would be like. You're right. Yeah, it just doesn't and make sense. And then people were like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, huh? What? what? What's going on? That'll impress her. It won't. 
It's not gonna. <laughs> no, it's not gonna work. Especially if it didn't. It didn't even work, buddy. No, it didn't, didn't even do it right. Didn't she just come out a few years ago too? Yeah, she's super gay. Yeah, she's gay. Gay as hell. I love it. <laughs> so she was never gonna be with English. I wonder if he read that and was like, "Good for her. Yeah, yeah right. she deserves." If she, if he's just completely normal now, yeah. as you imagine, or if he just like bottles that shit up. You walk into his basement. It's just Jodie Foster posters <laughs> there's everywhere. A, there's still like a shrine. <laughs> I always get her face mixed up with Hillary Swank, too. Really? So, like, in my head, I do. Because mm-hmm. I always think she's in Boys Don't Cry. Oh. But that's Hillary Swank. Yeah. You remember when we saw Silence of the Lambs, the musical? That was amazing. They had, that actress looked a lot like Jodie Foster. She did Foster. look a lot like her. Yeah, it God, was good. I love that movie, Silence of the Lambs. It's it's a good movie. We should rewatch yeah. it. I wanted to rewatch it the other day with Elise. She was like, I don't think I've ever watched it full through. What? Like, what you the kidding fuck? me? <laughs> that and um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I was like, both of those movies should be watched. <laughs> Not Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I love that movie. <laughs> it's so stupid. Um, so do you know Tiffany from the eighties? Yeah, 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 yeah. She sings. Um, I think we're alone now. now. Yeah, Don't even though it was, it was um, two other bands did it before her. Mm-hmm. There is a documentary and. It used to be on I'm not Netflix. watching a documentary about Tiffany. It's not about her. <laughs> it's about these two grown men who stalk her. It's Liar. a... Liar! It is a reality documentary. Wait, this they made it? Shit. Wait, what? A documentary crew filmed these two guys who stalk Tiffany. Why? Just because it's illegal, fascinating. Though. I don't think... Or they didn't, like, stalk, stalk they her. They used they just, to, like... but now they're just, like, really obsessed, and they uh, go wherever she's going to appear. She's like a middle-aged and... mom. Yeah, and I, mean, I, I know think, she like, sings, but... I think one of them has a restraining order against... Jeez. It's really fascinating. I gotta see if it's still on, on Netflix. Well, you can watch it's it with crazy. Mike. <laughs> Look, I think we're alone now. Jeff and Kelly are labeled as stalkers by the media. Is that what it's called? I think we're alone now? Yeah. That's great. Okay, it's not two guys. It's a guy and a girl. Um, what? <laughs> Jeff and Kelly are labeled as stalkers by the media after they profess their love for 1980s pop princess Tiffany. Pop princess. Yep. She had like three songs that people know. I think she's in it. I think like they interview, interview her it? about it. How do you feel about your stalkers? Yeah. Um, I... You know who I almost did? I almost did Dominique Dunn. Oh, yeah. Dominique Dunn's daughter, daughter which is yeah. weird. Or the other one that I always forget. That's bad. The other one. What other one? The other actress around that same time. Who was who stalked? Else? She was stalked and then she died. So Dominique Dunn died. It was her Her boyfriend ex. killed her, yeah. The other one was a stalker. Oh, Like, wow. just a stranger stalker. Huh. And her name was... Rebecca Schaefer. Oh, Rebecca Schaefer. Okay. Okay, so I think we're alone now. The entire documentary is on Vimeo and YouTube. So you guys can go see it. It has a seventy five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I think we're alone now. It I is. think that's a beautiful name for a stalking documentary. It, it, it's really interesting. And I feel like I'm pretty sure there's a horror movie that plays that song. Oh, we saw yes, it. Yes, the strangers. <laughs> we saw the strangers. Yeah, I was like, I'm pretty sure Last that week. happened. Yeah, yeah. And they in play the commercial, it. they use it, and it's amazing. Yeah, and it's yeah. so good. It's mm-hmm. like it really does lend itself to that scary, like, oh yeah, oh my god. Uh, that was a great movie. It was a good. I know movie. we already talked about. I it. I liked that it. Was great. Um. Okay, so that's it for this week. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yeah. We are Helen High Horror on Facebook and mm-hmm. Instagram. And Tumblr. And on Twitter, we are Hell High Horror. 
I am Austin Castelli on everything except Tumblr. On Tumblr, I'm Witch Tips. Yes, and I am Reparata Hattersley. <laughs> I felt like I need to say before we I'm Reparata Ann on everything. Yeah. So we have a Patreon. You could go to patreoncom Horror, or you could go to the link in our show notes. If you donate one dollar a month, you get our news episode, and if you donate more than that, you get a little extra stuff. You can find that all out on our Patreon page. If you want to tell us your scary or true crime stories, then please email us at HelenHighHorror at gmail.com. Okay. Is that it? I think that's it. Okay. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Yes. Reppy's going to go by Jelly Beans. So, Godspeed to her. Yeah. I'll get the good ones. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.